This is I'd Rather Be Right, a podcast about big ideas and better predictions. And dick jokes. Which is why this isn't financial, legal, or even dating advice. We might be rich, successful, and good-looking, but Mark Cuban hates us. So prepare to enjoy the best podcast that only awesome, charming, and attractive people like you listen to. Hello, and welcome back to the I'd Rather Be Right podcast with Luke and Nate. It is currently Wednesday, November 3rd. I'm here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Nate, I think, is somewhere in Wisconsin hanging out with A.A. Uh, Ron Rogers, um, who are, I guess, best buddies now. Uh, I'm getting replaced uh, as the Bitcoin friend with Aaron Rodgers. So uh, how's it going, Nate? Uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, I just made friends with Aaron Rodgers. He gave me money. So, you know, or Bitcoin specifically. So, you know, he knows how to make a good friend. <laughs> Why did he give you money? So uh, it was this cash app like promotion thing where like if you like commented on his tweet and wrote paid him because he getting he accepted some of his salary in Bitcoin via cash app and he was going to give out a million dollars to a bunch of people. Uh, so uh, one of the things they did was uh, if you just commented and you said paid in Bitcoin. Oh, or and I think uh, you had to like and retweet it or something. I don't know. Uh, the, uh, and you put your dropped your cash app in it, then he'd send some money to you potentially. And he sent ten dollars to me. He sent a hundred dollars to some people who got in there earlier. So like it that went from a hundred to like the to ten pretty quickly. I think it's more people joined on. That's awesome. Hey, you still have that screenshot, which is pretty cool. I know I have a screenshot that says Aaron jo- Aaron, Aaron Rogers paid me Bitcoin on Cash App, which is pretty fun. That's tight. That's I probably worth more than a 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. Yeah. Well, and it's Bitcoin, so it'll probably be more than 10 bucks one day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, oh, we should also say, because I have been umming and eye, we have a bet laid down for this podcast, don't we? Do you want yes, to share what yeah. the bet is? We're, what is it? 50 cents, 50 cents. for per um or ah, uh, and uh, we'll pay that in Bitcoin after, you know, uh, after the the next week or whatever yeah we're the next episode you're not going to count this live because we'll drive you guys crazy but you're yeah. free to count along catch catch us with our ums or our ahs and our other filler sounds and we're going to listen in our recording and net it out so whoever whoever used more that person is going to owe the other person 50 cents per violation it'll probably yeah, be I, was me. In... I think i'll be paying that's why part of the reason i said it at 50 cents when i offered this bet was like i think a dollar <laughs> i'm gonna go broke like <laughs> When I was in Toastmasters, I remember one time one of the guys brought in, I don't know, something. I don't remember what it was. It was like really annoying. And he didn't tell anyone. And then when people would, would say a ooh or an ah, he would like hit it. Yeah. And I would be like, what is happening over there? And he was like, at the end, he was like, I've been counting all of your ums and ahs. And that's why <laughs> I was going off a lot. So it was, it was kind of funny. <laughs> so I, and it was annoying. So we're not going to do that. I'm not going to yeah. play a sound. <laughs> So I'm the one who listens to the recording more often of the two of us, and I'm getting tired of both of our ums and ahs all over the place. I'm tired of burdening you, the listener, with them. So I decided this is a good bet to maybe clear us up a little bit. And we might have to run it a few weeks until we are significantly improved. I'm not sure we're going to eliminate entirely. I think both of us use those filler words to think, but I do think we can get better, both of us. And I think that'll make it more pleasurable for you, the listener. So that was was the idea of this bet. Awesome. Well, with that out of the way, we're going to get into our super fun topic 
<laughs> so I I took I took Luke's suggestion at the end of last week very very seriously when he said let's jump in we might get back to financial uh, discussions and we decided to do a deep dive. So uh, Luke, I'll let you introduce it because I introduce a lot of these things and and you know a good amount about this too. So let's go for it. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the exciting world of bonds, quantitative easing, and the Fed. <laughs> And I do think it actually is quite important for everyone to have some knowledge on this. It impacts mm -hmm. your financial life in many, many ways. Um, and and that should also impact your voting and politics and all that other stuff. Um, so I, it, as much as this may sound boring, I actually think it's quite interesting. And most people probably do not think about it. They just go about their lives. Uh, but they don't. And that's probably problematic uh, if they don't think about it. So, so we're going to try to do this. But I think the first place we're going to start with uh, bond prices and yields and and the different and the different types of treasury bonds, as it were. Um, and I think we first have to say that uh, first of all, there's there's a what a one month there's basically a bunch of different treasury bonds of the treasury issues from one month all the way to thirty years. There's a one month, two month, three month, six month. One year, two year, three year, five year, seven year, ten year, twenty year, and thirty year bonds, uh, and that's the starting point. And what is a bond? So a bond is so the idea is that you give the government money, and they give you an IOU, and they will pay you that much money plus the interest at the end of the maturity level. Uh, but to be fair, we should also understand that bonds are marketable securities, so you can sell them. So if you hit before the maturity. Um, you know, a lot of banks will pay you out. You can you can go on the open market and buy new ones. And as bond and bond prices change, and as a result of the fact that bond prices change, the yield changes. So for some reason, they're selling below their face value. Um, then the yield will be actually worth more at the end of the maturity level. And if they are above the face value, then the yield will go down. So there's a lot of places that really keep track of the yield curve. Uh, basically how much yield they're going to make uh, out of the issuing bonds from these dates. So right and now... Bonds really are used by huge... I mean, your average investor probably doesn't trade bonds, but when you look at the big guys, they, they're trading bonds a lot. They're trading bonds. So the other thing is a lot of pensions are required to have a certain amount of mm -hmm. treasury bonds. So treasury bonds, for the record, are considered the safest asset we own. I don't believe that's actually correct. We've talked about Bitcoin and why I'm a fan. That's because I don't believe this statement. But it is. And as a result, almost every pension is required to own a certain amount. Um, lots of your um, funds that you are in your 401k are required to own a certain amount or are going to own a certain amount. Um, it's certainly better than probably staying in cash, I guess. But um, Bear, yeah, barely. But maybe, but, but maybe only that. barely. Uh, and it depends probably, on how much you believe they're solvent. Yeah. So, It'll probably uh, stay up with cash, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know if any of you, when I was younger, my grandma uh, or someone in my family, I don't know, gave me bonds for right a present a birthday present and you buy like a hundred dollars uh a hundred dollar bond and a 20 year you know uh, maturity rate and then at the end of that 20 years they'll give you 150 bucks and you're like yeah. okay sweet so i'm gonna wait 20 years to make 50 bucks exactly. that's how a lot of them are yeah and that exactly and so let's get some rates right now for as of today um 0.05 percent is what you're getting for the one month so almost minus it's almost zero percent yeah congratulations <laughs> Uh, and a 30 year, you can get 2%. So congratulations. Hey, you, you put a hundred dollars. Uh, sorry, that's a 30 year. So 30 year, if I put a hundred dollars, I can get $102. And if you uh. can't understand why that's 
going to be worth less than inflation. Please listen to our other podcasts, please, uh, because this is this is nothing. So this is, as a result, people probably shouldn't be in bonds, but we'll get into why. But I think we also we talked about how the bond prices impact bond yields. Bond prices go up, yields go down. And so it's great if you already own bonds, you can get out for a little bit more money. But if you don't own bonds and you want to buy bonds, you've now got even less return. Now, if it goes below the face value, it can, you know, if it goes further down, then the, then the bond yield goes up. So it's good if you're going to buy bonds, less good if you want to sell them right now. Um, and that's mm-hmm. a, so that's basically the idea. I think we should also mention that uh, yield curve inversion usually signals a coming recession. What is yield curve inversion? It's when suddenly the short-term bonds are worth have more yield than the long-term bonds. It's it's, it's classic. Which should be. Yeah, it's, it's not normal. It, it should be theoretically more risk in the future than there is tomorrow. So that's that's uh, significantly in the future than there is tomorrow. And that's basically why there's a higher rate down the line. This all makes perfect sense when you think about it. And so if they're suddenly inverting, something's going really wrong with the economy and people really don't trust the next few years. And right. that's and that's really problematic and probably signals a recession that stuff's on coming. People are seeing or things, signals warning that signs. There's less, there's less confidence in the market. But we yeah. don't really know why. I mean, I guess the, yeah. it could be true. It could be bullshit. It could be self-fulfilling prophecy, right? But something's going on. So, yeah. um, so why are we I, talking about bonds, though? Like, where does this um, lead? Okay, so I think the next thing we have to understand is that these literally anchor the entire financial system. Everything you own is based on the value of the bond, specifically, the, you, typically the 10-year rate. So if I'm a typical value investor and I'm going to do a t- discount cash flow model, so I see a company that's turning off cash, profit, I can estimate, okay, they're likely to continue this over the next 10 years. And this is part of the reason they use the 10 years because it gets really hard to prophesize about the future, 30 years in the future. Um, but they're like, oh, I think I really believe in this company. There's good luck. They're going to likely keep the profit coming for this long you know, on average this amount. But how much is that future cash flow? We know it's worth less than, you know, money in the future is worth less than it is today. That's inflation. We know that. So what do you use? You use the what they call the risk-free re- return, which is the treasury bill. Because as we said, it is considered the risk-free asset. So they look at the 10-year treasury rate and they input it. And that reduces the amount of value that these future cash flows have. So if the rate were to go up much higher then the risk-free to rate return goes up higher and equities get devalued. So all of your, and and fundamentally, there's a lot of people doing this analysis on Wall Street. Typically, your, you know, your typical Robinhood trader probably has no idea what I'm talking about. This but, is Finance 101. You would learn but, this in your first year of learning finance. Yeah, and valuing models. equities. Like yeah. if you're going to value equities, this is how you're doing it. And what's and, an equity? Maybe just say what an equity is. Uh, a stock, stock. So stock of a company. Um and, and of course, you know, if you have an index fund, what you are is a bunch basket of equities. So all of these could get devalued in that process. If you have a mutual fund, basket of equities are probably in there. And then, you know, you're looking at other, you're comparing to other assets, including gold and other things. So everything's going to be valued based on this, but it also impacts the mortgage rate. And I think the way to think about um, the, this is because if I'm a bank, if I'm a bank, I can go out and buy a treasury bond and get a guaranteed yield from the government, or I can take a slightly higher risk and go give you a house. So if it's low, then mortgage rates are low. But if it's higher, mortgage rates are going to go higher. So if it's 50, if it was 15% instead of whatever it was at one, what we say it was, 10-year was 1.6%. So imagine it's a 10% uh, 10% mortgage rate. Then you're probably going to have a mortgage rate of 15%. Like you're not going to get a mortgage rate now, which is like around 3% or whatever. 
because they're they're basically doubling it, right? So maybe it's even 20% at that level. That's a significantly different risk on taking a mortgage at that point. Um, it's credit card levels. You're at credit card levels. So that's- Which I think was back in the 80s or the 70s. That's where they were. Yeah, yeah. So this can happen and, and it's going to be, and, and that's why we're watching um, the prices of bonds because they impact the yield, which impacts- the prices of equities and the prices of mortgage house, of housing and other things, things that you Which own affects or things you would like person. to buy. That's the other thing. Yeah. So also for the record, if you're making good money, but you're yet to buy a house, you may want that rate to go up some. So the, uh, so the prices, of some of these equities come down, right? Uh, now the mortgage, if you're really about to buy a mortgage, I would say, don't do it. You want to get another cheap, but, but for, if you want to buy stock and you have a lot of cash and the price has dropped, that would be great for you. So, just consider the fact that it depends on who you are in the economy and who the, who's getting screwed. But generally, if you own something, you're in good shape. And if you're if you don't own it yet, you're probably not exception if you're a house and you're about to buy. We um, are in a capitalist society, which means the people with the capital who own things usually benefit. So that's kind of why they say yeah. But it's also because we don't have a capitalist society, stuff. and this is we're injecting money into this, and we're going to get into this through the central banks well, which is benefiting the banks and the asset holders so we're going to get into this i would say the fed broke capitalism with yeah, easing. yeah that might be a good way of saying it but anyway yeah. that's the basic idea of bond prices bond yields how they impact other uh, invest uh other assets we own or, or don't own or would like to so it's really important even though bonds are really boring <laughs> yep. and they don't really give you a return they anchor the price of really important financial instruments and which really affects our economy which is why you hear a lot of a lot of people don't like to watch financial uh, programming because as soon as even me, when they start talking about bonds, I'm like, oh man, okay. <laughs> what? Well, tell me about tell me about well, Shiba Inu. Yeah, and, and the other the other thing down. is, day to day, it doesn't matter probably right. all that much. But then one of these days, you wake up and suddenly something goes to hell, and it matters a lot. So it's mm -hmm. one of those things where it's probably um, what is it? Uh, nothing happens for decades and centuries happen in days, like that kind of thing. It's right. that kind of event with the bond market. So that's probably what we're looking at. But um, let's jump to the next part. Uh, the bond market, how does it actually work? So first, if it, as we know, the government's financing their, uh, their, their bills through selling bonds. Uh, that's how they get, you know, they're basically, if they're not, if they don't have money in tax, we need, we need to fund our, all our obligations somehow. So we issue these bonds. And we do that through the treasury auction, through the treasury automated auction processing system. You can go on and sign up as an individual. I think you can get in there. Uh, but basically, basically, it's large institutions that are probably doing this. Uh, large funds that are doing this. Hedge funds could get in there. Everyone but the Fed. The Fed cannot do it. The Fed, because of the Federal Reserve Act, they wanted to be independent. And they are not one of the members that can auction, uh, can buy out of the auction from the treasury department. So... Uh, so basically funding the government, the money that the Fed creates is indirect. It's not direct this way. And so the member banks and stuff, they go out and they and these treasury actions and they buy it. Um, and certain banks must buy a certain amount they're required to basically, if you agree, you want to buy it, that's like often you have to agree that you're going to buy a certain amount every day, every time there's an auction guarantee. And then you can buy more, but you always have to buy the minimum. Um, and then, so what happens there? Well, then we got to, uh, so then we got the, you know, we got the bonds and they're also trading around the world, but let's enter the federal reserve of this conversation. I think it's where it needs to come in. Um, as I said, it's supposed to be independent of the federal government. Uh, and what, what do they do? Well, first of all, the banks and institutions place the reserves 
at the, the reserves with the Fed. So that's the first thing they do. They also have powers to control certain things. First of all, they can print money. And they won't say it's just the case, but they can literally put in the bank account and credit to banks. And we'll get into how they that in a minute. But they are basically putting in the back room, adding some money to someone's account if they want to. And they can charge for doing that. But they have powers. One, they set, they set reserve requirements. So if they say a bank needs to have this amount, uh, this is where you can get fractional reserve banking. So everyone's bank account. So if you have a bank account worth $10,000 in it, you don't necessarily have the 10,000. It's highly likely they don't even have a thousand dollars of it. Uh, right. But like, so the, they require how much it is out there in your, in the, in these different accounts and, and what the actual level is. So that's one thing they can do. The other thing is they can set the discount rate. And that's the rate set by the federal reserve on loans extended by the fed to the commercial bank. Right now that current rate is 0.25%. So almost free. So this is why we say we have free money. Money is inexpensive right now. Explain um, that a little bit, though. I don't think most people understand what the Fed, how the Fed and private banks interact on the on a daily basis, and why the discount rate matters. Okay, so if I need money overnight, say our reserves are too low, I could I could like take out a loan with them. They could enter into my account, and I'd agree to pay back certain amount over a period of time, if, especially if an idea that settlements could be higher than in the future. And at 0.25% is basically risk-free. I and mean, there's almost zero, it's almost 0%. So, um, and it also works the other way. If I have more money than I need, the Fed will actually pay me. Yeah, money. yeah, yeah, exactly. And that actually works through the, um, um, because they will basically loan that money on your behalf to other, other right. banks who are low. Uh, and that's called the federal funds rate. And that's slightly higher. Um, and let's see, where's the federal funds rate? That's the current rate is 0.08%. It's a federal funds rate. And so, yeah, if, say bank, let's say, I don't know, let's just use Bank of America, is has excess reserves and Citibank has is a little bit under that night. You know, bank uh, they'll send money from from one to the other, from the Bank of America to Citibank. And then Bank of America makes a small, tiny little return overnight on that. So and the reason nothing. they do this is because the Fed actually wants to encourage Bank of America just to work directly with Citibank to top up Citibank with Bank of America's funds if needed. Some this so sometimes this happens. Sometimes the Fed has to do it, and they do this every night. So there's there's all these levers and yeah. So it happens every point. night. But the other thing I think you should say they don't really want to incentivize it right now. If they did, they wouldn't have a point oh. It would be a point well, oh, a point two five percent rate and a point oh eight. So right well, now, what they're really trying to the leverage, right? Yeah, to, that they mess with when the economy is doing certain things. One hundred percent, because what they're these rates are so low right now. There's not a whole lot of reason to have excess reserves. So your the goal here is to get them to loan bank loan money to the uh, uh to businesses, credit-worthy borrowers. They're not going to go out to nobody, but they're gonna, if they're credit-worthy and that person wants money, they're really incentivized to do it because they're going to get a much better return than 0.25% or 0.08%. Like, they can do a right. lot better out there. And this is the whole reason to get it out, uh, get these things, these things are so low. Uh, and to be fair, the federal funds rate, they do not completely control. They do set the target rate and they control this through open market operations, which is how we're going to get into QE in a minute. So keep an eye on it. So listen up here because the overnight over, we talked about how we, this happens every night, but the overnight market operations, they go out into the market and they buy up typically overnight op, uh, uh, operations were just overnight open market operations were just short term bonds. So we're talking the, you know, the couple months ones, not the, not the 30 or 20 or 10 year bonds. And they are doing this to try to control those rates 
and I guess, and of course, impact yields, right? As we said, if there's if there's excess, if there's excess demand, uh, that means price is going up and yields are going down on bonds, and that that convinces people to lend money out. Yeah. And why do we want to lend money out? Uh, they want to lend money out. Well, I don't know why we want to lend it out. The Fed wants oh, yeah. to, uh, wants to because they want to stimulate the economy. Basically, this means getting money moving around, businesses building, and empl- employment up, right? So, like that's yep. the other thing they're trying to also control unemployment here, um, and yeah, so that that's that's the goal. Um, that's usually their first line of defense is inc- it, or lower that interest rate to increase banks' incentive to give credit. Yeah, credit and the real problem now is just almost zero percent. So there's just nowhere they can right. go, um, and right. that would and have been the first. Like <laughs> right. when, you can't, when you can't do much, there's nothing else to do, um, and this is the problem. It's been in the tank for a long time and then when it was the first thing they did in COVID, like boom they dropped it as far as they could and now it's basically zero and it's certainly negative in, in when you adjust for inflation so in real terms it's negative um in nominal terms it's slightly above zero but just slightly <laughs> um so you're not going to get much further um and this is sometimes where if you you'll see the over overseas they've had negative rates like negative nominal rates i.e the central bank's going to charge you money uh, if you're keeping excess cash there, they're going to take money out. They want you to spend it. So this, this, this is the point. They want you out, spending it, loaning it, doing these things. Um, and if you can see how this is troublesome, you're, you're in the mindset of a Bitcoiner already, I got to tell you. Um, right. Okay, so this House of Cards continues. We, we got this low rates. We got nothing else to do. What do we do? Enter QE. It's basically open market operations to the extreme. There's multiple things they do. First of all, they're buying a much larger amounts of bonds. They're also focusing on longer term government debt. They're, they're focusing on commercial bonds and they're also focusing on asset backed securities. So gold backed securities, ETF, stuff like that, I think. Um, but they are now allowed to buy more things than just short term federal government debt. Um, and that's what QE is. It's that it's, it's the overnight open market operations to the extreme. Like that's the way I'd put it. And, as a result, if you're buying longer-term government debt, we just talked about how the 10-year rate impacts discount cash flow models for pretty much any value investor or fundamental analysis investor. They're looking at that as a risk return. So if you're dry, if you're driving up demand artificially, and therefore driving up prices, you're driving down yield, and therefore the stock market and equities should grow, which we have seen. And if you see a lot of charts, there's a lot of charts that will show the federal balance uh, the federal, the Fed's balance sheet, which is all these assets they're buying. And by the way, when they're doing it, they're just creating money. They're just, they're artificially creating money and then buying it, so they can get back on a computer, just create money, and grab it. And so, and, and taking on toxic assets a lot of times. That oh yeah, and yeah, that's can the thing. Offload if you, to them, one hundred percent. You're going to give them the crappy ones. That certainly happened in two thousand eight. You had all these bad deals, exactly. and they bought tons of toxic assets that would have gone to if not zero i mean they probably were slightly above zero in worth but they would have been close to zero and people could have gotten in and bought a lot of good disc discounts instead the fed swapped you know grabbed them and saved saved bad investments that's what they did um which is why i said they broke capitalism because that's not it's it's supposed to work if you make a bad investment you lose you lose money and the yep. Fed said, "No, we will prevent you from losing money because, or you're, at least not quote, that unquote, much money. Yeah, 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 or at least not that much money. Yeah, 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 as much as you should have been. You should have been bankrupt, and we'll let you survive, right? Yeah. Which some um, people say is a good thing because it saves jobs, but then other people say, well, now you're just going to perpetuate the problem and grow this issue further 
and, it, and, and it's never I would say they are because they've bailed out. And now the Fed didn't bail out, but other people have bailed out airlines. We bailed out. Right. Uh, I think we built out some of the cruise lines that were based in the U.S. So lots of things that really, and these people were buying, you know, using money to buy back stock earlier. So and they the didn't answer, need to, cruise lines, especially where I mean, a lot of them had plenty of money that would have lasted them years if they just parked their boats, and they were. So there's, I don't know so much about the airlines, but I know specifically in the cruise industry, a lot of them would have been fine. And I, and fair, I don't think they bailed them all out. I think they, Carnival, I think, is based in the U.S. The, the, the non-U.S. ones did not get bailouts. I know that. Uh, that was well, a big thing. Aren't they all U.S.? They just. <laughs> well, a lot, a lot of them are U.S. listed. And I think Carnival may have gotten benefit. There's oh, yeah. some that are like. Bro, there's some That's that I think are based. Anyways. But anyway, okay. Yes, digression. So back, back to the point. But here, so we're, we're having the government come in. They're buying all these securities pumping up asset prices, specifically long-term government debt, debt, and the balance sheet is swelling. It's been swelling since a long time, since 2008, but it skyrocketed uh, during COVID. And it's gone, it's not has, it's not stopped since 2020 in, in COVID, just straight. It was like, it skyrocketed right up there and then it you know, eased off a little bit, but it's still going up and to the right. Um, more and more stuff they're taking on including more and more of the government debt. So now we're in this Ponzi scheme, and I'm sorry, but I don't know how else to describe it, where the government's issuing debt through commercial banks who are then selling it to the Fed, who is also the government. So the government's buying its own its own debt in a weird cycle through like an intermediary. And who makes money off of that? The banks. And if people, the if banks. you wonder why bank, if you wonder why people say bank, the banking system is corrupt, here you are. And by uh, Anita, who architected this as well, the, the CEO of BlackRock, who maybe has gotten the most rich out of all of this, he's yeah. kind of put this deal together. So, yeah. Um, so I think, actually, I think that's a pretty good summary. We did a pretty good summary in not that much time, 30 minutes. I'm not sure what, was, else, we, what else do we need to like discuss on this? That's pretty, I don't know. I'm actually pretty impressed with this. I mean, I don't know if our listeners understood anything you said, but I got it. I think it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, we kind of, this is one of the ones where we really going to need some feedback. If, if uh, we might rely on Jill, because I know she listens, but yeah. if anyone else so wants it's... to tweet us and let us know whether we, this made any sense or what our sticking points were, um, it would be quite useful if we had some people who didn't yeah. understand. Cause we might be making some assumptions about what our listeners understand, but just to summarize, um, so you have bonds, which basically uh, are quote unquote safe investments that the government issues and you can buy them. Those are the underpinning of almost every financial model that a, as you said, a value investor would come up with uh, to value equities. Um, the price action on the bonds or the yield affects price action on equities uh, inversely, um, which means if uh, bonds are, you know, Demand is low on bonds or the yield is low on bonds, then equities are high. And the Fed uh, uses this to maybe some might say artificially pump up the stock market when things are going bad. And when and that to work, say, yay, the economy is working well. Do you, do yeah, the economy is working. Do you, do you see how politicians might point to the, to the stock yeah. market, the thing they're artificially inflating and saying, don't you see the economy is working perfectly fine? Meanwhile, homelessness is going up. Yeah. Right now you might understand all those memes when the guys, <laughs> yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. And then um, there's also quantitative easing where the Fed will take on assets, corporate yeah. assets, uh, government assets to backstop uh, these entities from failing in rough economic times. And this all leads to um, basically what 
I would assume most Bitcoiners, I don't know. I hope most Bitcoiners understand this, but I think the, the sophisticated ones do. I think a lot of them just yeah. are buying it to ride. This is what drove ride. me to Bitcoin. This literally yeah. here is what drove me to Bitcoin because I understood this. And then when Bitcoin comes out, and a lot of people understand this and they might not agree that Bitcoin uh, is a thing. But the reason when people say, what's the point of Bitcoin? Bitcoin is the answer to this specific problem is what we call a discretionary monetary policy, meaning we have someone in the Fed pulling levers and pushing buttons and trying to control the economy, which can work, but maybe it also doesn't work and maybe it makes things worse. I would say it probably worked for a while and then we w we made a really big mistake in 2008. Um, mm. And that mistake is one we've never really recovered from. Uh, right. And as a result, we are now trying, it's sort of like, it's become this uncontrollable feedback loop that they don't even, like, I don't think, I don't even feel like they have any real good options. Like that's the other thing. As, as a Fed, what would they do if I were in charge of Fed? The answer is I wouldn't be in charge of the Fed because I don't want to be there. <laughs> and, right. and because it's like literally no good options. All of the options suck. You're gonna you benefit someone, the, you're gonna hurt someone else. It. And they're yeah. trying to, if I had to guess, they're trying to ride this out until there's a solution. Um, and I do think yeah. Gary Gensler, who's an SEC guy, not the Fed, uh, but and, and I do think he sees Bitcoin as a potential off-road. Uh, I think some other people may see it, but they can't say it. You can't say it. You've got to keep this faulty machine running long enough that the runway is built in there and we're in sight of it. And right now, as much as I love Bitcoin, you can't off-road the whole world into it right now. We're not quite there. Lightning Network is being built right now, uh, actively improving. People are onboarding pretty fastly, but like fast, but not everyone's, not, not enough people own Bitcoin, not enough institutions own it or control it. Uh, and I don't mean control it, but like, like have access to it um, and can safely custody it. And then you don't have all these, like all your everyday businesses don't accept it yet. So it is not a real option right now. Uh, I do think it'll be a real option in 10 years, maybe, maybe even five. Uh, it depends how quickly we build. But this is sort of the problem. They've got this thing. They know it's kind of running off the road. They know they probably don't have a lot of good options and they got to keep running. And the whole world is doing it. So the Australian two-year bond blew up because the central, central bank just woke up one day and decided not to buy it. So... Um, and again, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Australia has a requirement where it can't be. So, you know, we have that rule: you can't buy the Federal Reserve can't buy at mar, uh, at the auction. I think Australia you can, as my, based on my reading of the article, unclear to me. But regardless, Australia decided the Fed, their central bank decided not to buy anymore, and the Australian two-year bond yield blew up because the, the the demand went down. So the uh, so um, uh, so the prices. Um, dropped which meant the yield went up and then of course that means all australian equities are going to get revalued re that kind of thing and it just happened i think two weeks ago and obviously australia is not the united states and i want to be very clear the premier one here is the fed it is the u.s government they impact everything with the world reserve currency every country in the world looks to us but every country has the same problem and every country is basically doing the same thing any or at least any country that prints its own currency is doing the same thing. Um, but we are the world premier one. We're all when we really go off the rails, it, it, the whole world breaks, uh, as we saw in two thousand eight. Um, and to to be fair, the whole world does it maybe because of uh, uh, colonialism <laughs> and globalism. But this is technically, I would say, the the way the system works is the most advanced or. It's at the forethought of economic thinking. You could argue economists have no idea what they're talking about, and maybe that's true. But this is 
as far as we've gotten, like it is the premier financial uh, system that maybe has ever been invented. And that's why no one really has an answer of how to fix it because we've never been this far down the path before. We need brand new ideas, but people are still stuck a hundred years and, ago in and the, Keynesian economics. So, and there's more than that. Like last, So we need to jump back, um, you know, pre- pre-world war ii we all had we all kind of had some gold back everyone had some gold in their currencies we hit world war ii um we decided to go on a gold we go the Bretton Woods system where we agree that any country can issue its currency and retrieve 30 i think it's one u.s dollar for 35 ounces or whatever but like any, anyway they could come and they could buy gold out using their currency using the u.s dollar um and then we went off the gold standard in 1971, and then that effectively put everyone on a truly fiat floating currency system. And so it's an entirely new experiment, but one we were kind of forced into based on decisions we've made earlier. Um, and and, and we, there's no way back. Like we can't go back to the gold standard. Gold, like if you look at the gold market cap, it's not really enough to, to swallow up all of the value of the world. Um, and we're never going to go back to it because it had issues. The issue is one where it could be confiscated easily by the government and then controlled by one government. Uh, so I do wonder if we even have gold in Fort Knox right now. I don't know. They were audited it, never proved that we had any of it. But um, but that's sort of where enters Bitcoin, I guess, as an option. Actually, let's just do some protective steps. Let's do non-Bitcoin, and we're going to do into Bitcoin at the very end for those that want to hear it because other ones can turn it off. Um, but first, I think the question, should you own any bonds? I do not own any. I wouldn't recommend owning any in this right now. No. Um, and I wouldn't recommend you tell anyone on a fixed income to even own it. Like, get out of it. doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense. That I will add real quick before we get into Bitcoin a little later. If they don't own any Bitcoin, get them to own a little bit of Bitcoin. You should own a little Bitcoin. Everyone should own at least a little bit of Bitcoin. You can debate how crazy I am that I have too much, but having none is irresponsible, I think. And we'll get further into that in a minute. But then let's, let's talk about houses. Like the good news is I would say if you can lock in a low interest mortgage right now, if you if you want to own a house, I, I don't own a house. I don't plan on buying anytime soon. I'd rather have my money in Bitcoin. But if you're going to, and this is something you want to do or something you can, you can get your interest rate down, do it now. And the thing is when this thing blows up, the mortgage rates are going to go, please, you want the fixed and that also applies to any fixed interest loan uh, that's really low interest. If you can get it fixed and it can't be called in, you should always be looking whether or not they can call it in. That's a very different thing. You don't want them calling in and you don't want them to be able to raise the rates. You don't want it adjusted by LIBOR or anything else. Um, you want it fixed forever. And when you a do- A fixed long-term loan with a low interest rate is maybe one of the most powerful financial instruments ever been invented. It's truly kind of crazy. But if you can get a mortgage for 3.5% for 30 years, 30 years, 3.5%, like... Yeah. And and, and if we have an inflation here, we're going to have... That, that it comes with wage inflation. I I believe it lags the inflation and everything else, but it does come. Uh, and you're going to be paying off your mortgage with cheaper dollars in the future. Um, and, and... Because of the discounted cash flow model. 100%, yes. And so... And what you also don't want to do is be the guy who's like, oh, I'll refinance 10 years from now or five years from now and the world blows up and then you're, you refinance at 20%. Mm -hmm. You won't you won't be refinancing. Let's put that. You'd be like my 6% or whatever I have right now or 5%, it's better than 20. But you can probably lock in 3% right now or something. I mean, I, mm -hmm. So it's really good. I mean, I would definitely look at it if it's depending on how high it is. If you're looking to buy something, um, uh, lots of mortgage. I would actually, this is one of those ones where maybe... Uh, 
the only amount of down I'm looking at as far as it's like, do I have enough cash flow to get my mortgage payments paid? Otherwise, I'm going to have as small down as I can because this is free money almost. So, yeah, exactly. and certainly inflation adjusted, it probably is free. Like it's negative. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, it's so that OPM, baby, that free so, OPM. So, uh, you know, yeah, you would like if they recommend 20%, but I'd go 10% if you can easily afford the payments. Um, you know, because I do think it does impact how much you pay each month, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if we're if we're right, and I do think we are, obviously we we have that we we say we'd rather be right, and we aim for that. Right. I do think that this is a really good time to lock in really low fixed interest, low interest debt, particularly in mortgage. So that's one step. The other options, uh, traditional options for avoiding kind of inflation and these problems, uh, commodities, um, specifically, and commodity producers. So assets, that are, those things are always going to have value. You're always going to need silicon chips and whatever else. So things that go into those kind of things are always going to be valuable, uh, even in the future. Uh, and and it will adjust based on inflation. So if you see any of those, those are good places to put your money. Um, I don't own any for the record, but I do. I don't, the people who do, I don't think they're crazy. Like, I think they kind of, and those people. So, this is also how rich are you, right? I'm not that rich <laughs> yet. So, I'm trying to get rich. But if you're rich, you're going to mm-hmm. own some Bitcoin, like I told you to, but you're also going to own some of these other things I'm telling you to own because you're going to diversify around. Okay, what are the ones I want? You're going to, you know, make sure you own some land with a fixed interest mortgage rate. You're going to own some commodities and equities based commodities. Um, stuff. So this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to protect yourself. There's a difference between trying to grow your wealth and protect your wealth. Yeah, hundred percent. If you're trying and to grow I, your wealth, you don't have any. Well, you don't really need to worry about bonds and commodities. And I don't think you also. And I've openly said this, this again. This is not financial or legal advice. I do not believe in diversification when you're trying to get rich. No, uh, it does. It's not a very good way to get rich. It's an extremely good way to, to protect when you already are rich. Right. But you can't YOLO into meme stocks if you diversify. So yeah, helpful. I also don't recommend YOLOing into meme stocks <laughs> when Bitcoin's an option. Okay, which leads us to Bitcoin. How does Bitcoin solve this? For those of you that don't want to listen, jump out now. No, no worries. You've heard me rail on this stuff before, I'm sure. But I do think we can finish out with, with this, and we'll be right around uh, uh, one hour. I'm surprised we got through this that fast. Me too. Maybe we're geniuses, and we should be teaching at uh, Rutgers Financial. <laughs> Education. <laughs> I guess it'll depend on how useful this was for people that aren't us. Right. Oh, oh, we, we need our, um, what is it? The teacher feedback forms, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we, we just get a bunch of comments the... like, you guys are wrong. No, that's not how any of it works. That's, that's not how any of it idiot. works. And you idiots and morons are completely out of it. Okay. Exactly. All right. But okay. Bitcoin, I think, is the fundamental interpunct. Like, it is basically offering the chance to change the foundation of all of this from the bond and everything else to the Bitcoin itself. I think that's the big bet eventually. And we are basically replacing one monetary system with another one, one that's fixed and controlled by code and not controlled by any other entity. And if it can do that, I do think that's a better world. I think the biggest problem we have, and we've talked about it a little earlier in the podcast, is, is the transition from one to the other. Which is going to be messy regardless. It like even no matter what system we end up on after this, and I don't think we can stay with this one forever. It's clearly not working. Uh, it's clearly coming off the rails. Whatever system we transfer to will be messy. 
It was messy in 1971 when we came with a gold standard. It was messy in Bretton Woods. We had a World War II before that. I mean, that was messy, right? Like that was basically a rejiggering of the monetary world. It's going to be messy. The question is how messy is it going to be and who is going to be impacted? Uh, it's the way I think about this. And it's the one reason I, I think the one reason I really enjoy this podcast uh, and I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile is I don't know how many people are convinced by Bitcoin, but I suspect it's not zero on our podcast. We only have, a, we don't have that many listeners, but I'd be surprised if, most of our listeners don't own a little bit right now. Uh, even if they didn't decide to go YOLO their life into it like I did. But <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I think they're probably protected. I know my family's protected. I've got my family all to own some. Um, and, and I think this is important because if this transition is happening, I think the odds are a chance that we end up with Bitcoin. I think that's what I really think. And so, but why, so why is Bitcoin the answer? I, I mentioned... It's the answer to discretionary monetary policy. Yeah. You're replacing think... humans with algorithms that a person can't. I mean, technically, sure, you could vote to change Bitcoin. It probably wouldn't happen, but I mean, I guess technically that's there. You can run it out. So, so the thing is, actually, that's a good question. So, um, how would you change Bitcoin if you wanted to change Bitcoin and you wanted to control it? Um, it's, it's no, right? So, the nodes are the validators. So, they, so the miner processes a block and a, valid, a node like the one I run over here validates it and it says this is a this is a this block is you know follows all the rules and this is the correct answer and we will add it to the blocks. And if not, we kick it out. So if you suddenly they change their monetary policy, a miner said we're going to issue we're running a code that allows for 31 million bitcoins instead of 21 million bitcoins. We'd be like that's not a block, you're out, right? So functionally, you could have enough nodes that would pick a different thing and then go the different way. They could do that. And here's what I always thought about this. What if the government just said, okay, we're going to try to control Bitcoin. I'm going to create, let's say there's 30,000 nodes right now. I'm going to create 100,000 nodes. And they could do that pretty quickly, the government. If they really want to do it without letting people know, I think they could probably get away with it. We're going to get 100,000 nodes. We're going to update it, make a new Bitcoin, and we're going to fork it. And this is now Bitcoin. Then it jumps to the market. The market still gets to decide this is the fundamental truth about money. You can print it, but you can't make people value it. You can press laws and try to enforce it and say, if you don't transact in this, I'll throw you in jail. Some places to do that. But how forceful, how impactful is that if I can hide behind a bunch of codes and, and security and stuff? So they could fork it that way, right? But I think the market would say, that's not real Bitcoin. Uh, we don't value it. We're going to value the thing that's been valued for, at this point, what, 12 12 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, we'll value that thing. 12 years of running perfectly. We all value it. Those that are using it are valuing it. Those that are producing it are valuing it. So yeah, you could do that. I guess you could try to do that and then pop up some miners that would produce those new blocks on those new rules, right? A government could do that, but they you can't make people value it. You can't make the market value it. So I think that's, that's the real issue of trying to change it. And that's the reason that if you opt in this system, you're agreeing you have an incentive to not let it change and you have an incentive to eventually run a full node and protect those rules and say, no, we're not changing this. Like we we're in. And the thing is we're not changing it for your benefit, my benefit or anyone else's benefit. The rules are the rules. Everyone must buy them. And yeah, it's like poor, a constitution. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's basically the constitution, but actually enforceable. <laughs> but actually enforceable because it's by code. Yeah. And then letting the market decide, I mean, maybe if you're super left, you're like, no, the government needs to be in charge and be able to regulate things. But but I, I, I think the problem with that is like, 
the government is in charge and they are regulating things and who's it benefiting? Like right. they're not wrong in the sense that I was like, you know, I, I, I let me put it this way. I am more socialist than I am current U.S. capitalism. Whatever the hell we have, it's a perverse combination of capitalism for the poor and socialism for the rich. And I, and so I am unlike other Bitcoiners who are like, oh, I love the U.S. It's pro capitalist. I'm like, it's not capitalist. That's okay. actually why I agree with the socialist. But it's also why I'm a Bitcoiner because I really am a capitalist. And I think the only true market that is truly free right now is Bitcoin. But not only that. If the free market comes to money, which is what Bitcoin has done, it will impose the free market on the rest of the world through everything else when it becomes a standard. Like that'll be the true free market. It'll focus. It'll, it'll force sanity on. I, uh, yeah, I, I've, call, I've called it monetary sanity. Um, yeah. And the thing is, like, I get it. I get why they wanted to bail out 2008. I actually get it. But I was railing against it at the time. And it's going to create all these kind of problems. And it created a lot of them. Some of the ones I didn't see, some of them I did, including the moral hazard. One way I said they're gonna, you know, they're gonna learn they can learn to bail out. Because so every company learned they can get bailed out and proved it in COVID. I was right. I was right back in 2008 when I was railing about this in law school. And people thought I was crazy. But I'm like, if you don't see these problems, you're not paying attention. And of course, the seeds of destruction are always planted, you know, decade or two ahead. Like that's that's how this happens. And you either have to you either have to have the fortitude as a country to to, to to control it. And maybe they could have bailed them out in such a way that they could have protected against that by you know putting people in jail. I don't know for some of the weird shit they were doing uh, outside of Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff was the only one I think who went to jail. Um, right. And like and he turned himself in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, but like, like you know, people in jail making sure they don't pay bonuses out the next year. Like that should have been a rule right off the bat. You don't get to pay any bonuses for. 10 years. And I don't care who you are. Chandler to CEO. And then also Qualbox CEO pay being like, you know, either you're gone or you're gonna get paid an average salary $120,000, a government salary for 10 years. I don't care. But either way, if you're gone because you won't take this deal and your company collapses, then that's on you too. Just let the companies collapse. Like some people wouldn't have taken the deal. They made this weird deal with long-term capital management. So actually didn't start in 2008. It started with long-term capital management when they got bailed out by the, uh, for the federal government. And there was, these guys are Nobel Prize winners who drove a giant hedge fund down to the ground. And again, they were worried about the system. So the, the federal Black government. Equation. And so, yeah, the Black Scholes equation. And, and these guys were complaining, well, you want us to stay and fix it? Like, what's the upside for us? And they're like, I'm like, what's the upside? How about reputation? Like, that's the answer. I've been like, you stay here and fix it. Or I'll ruin your reputation and tell you every every discussion we ever had about how you just drove this country into the ground. And you were upset that you weren't going to have an upside when you when you already you already drove the country into the ground. Like, that's the answer. But no, they made a deal because they always make a deal. They always make a deal. And that's and the you're not a part of it, baby. And you're not a part of it. Yeah, you poor is not a part of it. You're not part of it. What did Car what did uh, George Carlin said? There's a there's a big club, and you ain't and in you it. Ain't <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, here's that's exactly what the climate change accords were. Let's all drive our fly, private jets, including right. all those billionaires. Tell you poor is how to spend your money and save the right. globe while we're driving around in private jets. Fuck off. Especially when you could have done it virtually these days. I know. Come that's on. exactly it. They could have done it Zoom. You're in a pandemic. You're right. in the middle of a pandemic with climate change, and you decide to fly around, including all these and separate ones. Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates couldn't share. Uh, they're coming from Seattle. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's I don't know. But There's, but you pours you pours better you better pours. watch how much electricity you use and make sure to turn off your lights because because otherwise the world's and gonna use burn. reusable bags. And use you reusable bags. Store. You pours. You pours exactly. That's exactly like, and that's it's all the way up, and it's most insidious in the financial markets because that makes uh, and, a lot of people. And this poor. corruption is starting to get old. I think, and even me, like, I think the bitcoiners go a little too far with this, but like, they are not entirely wrong about just how corrupt the system really is. And and I don't think, and you know, there's that expression in the Bitcoin world: "Fix the money, fix the world." Um, and but I do think it's a point. Like, if you don't fix the base level social way we interact which is money is none of this money. gets better like none of this gets better like we, money we, we facilitates can... goods and services between human beings that's the point of it and it's that's literally the point right? yeah. across time yeah yeah and, and when and that's it... broken so uh what happens? luke and i both listened to a podcast that was like a pretty good about quantitative easing went through a lot of it but one thing he kept saying was money holds your value only for a short period of time and i was just counted to say no money's supposed to hold it for a long period of time it is but he didn't understand and he never really fought on that issue because he accepted this person who was explaining it had ex fully accepted the way the world works now as normal. Mm. But actually the way the world works now is not normal. We told you it's, it's been 50 years. There's 50 years of this. It's only been 50 years since 1971, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. My math so. is right. And then what a couple decades before that, uh three decades before that for Bretton Woods. Yeah. And then, like this is like what we're going through. It's not old school, like it's relatively new. i mean people were my age were at 1971 who are still alive yeah so it's this this is the aberration we're living through not the norm and if you accept that then you realize that money should last for a long period of time the value shouldn't be debased that easily if at all and if that's the case and it's still divisible and it still has all these other properties so we didn't really talk. I don't know if we talked about this when we talked about Bitcoin for beginners and, and all the different conversations of money. How basically Bitcoin solves the two limitations of gold versus paper money. I think we talked about it a little bit, but they kind of like they both had different limitations. Gold was a real commodity backed money um, that everyone agreed was worth it, but it's really hard to go into your grocery store and exchange gold for people. So we created paper currency and we let banks hold it and eventually we let governments hold it on our behalf and paper currency but then we trusted they wouldn't print more paper currency to equal that <laughs> amount of gold but of course they did so of course they did and that's because all happened pre, and that and that all happened pre-step 1971 and the guy by the way they did it because we wanted are you talking about rome or the u.s right now i'm talking about or china well, yeah i'm talking about pre-1971 even right oh i know so, so we printed is, this but lbj comes in we got a war going on he's got a fund so he's printing more dollars he created um uh you know the guns and butter societies he also created all the um, social welfare programs, and by the way, maybe we should have done them, but and people wanted those. People wanted the social welfare programs at least. They didn't necessarily want the Vietnam War, but they certainly wanted the social social programs. And he created them. So suddenly we have more money in the system, and we have basically more gold IOUs than we have gold. So we had to close the gold window by Nixon, and Nixon had to make a choice, and he made a choice. And then by the way, Nixon went on and now for some other good programs that furthered this. So we've got we've got all these things coming together. Where, where you you want you want the divisibility of gold through paper money, but you don't want the debasement. Bitcoin took both of those, puts them together, adds a digital component that allows the whole world access to it as long as you have access to the internet. And infinite divisibility, we can divide it as much as we want. So 
like it, it's a weird thing because big and has all the benefit of the internet on top of it. So the way you like, I think of like digital money inside your bank account, all those benefits, but even better because we've talked about limits of sending money through the traditional wires and how it costs actual money. And right now with the lightning network, it's free and instantaneous. So it's better. It's just better. It's better money. It's better. That's, like, I don't know how to say it. It's just better money. And if it's exactly. better money, presumably, and Bitcoiners hope, it's, Bitcoiners believe, I would say I believe slash hope, like I, I think it's likely true, but I also accept that, mind, that a better foundational money will lead to a better society. Like that's the idea. I, well, I think that's true. That was the original idea with an industrialized modern society is, oh, give everyone living wages and the machines are going to do all the work and then we're going to be able to work less and be happier. And it didn't work because uh, exploitation and things of that nature. And a lot of people don't understand how the economic system works. And because they don't understand how the economic system works, they don't understand why they're poor. They think they're poor for incorrect. They think they're poor because Elon Musk wants to go to space, which is not true. They're poor because of this situation, because of how the economic system works and it doesn't benefit the people at the bottom and it never will until you fix the money and you can't inflate away. Yeah. I will say though, Elon Musk is a beneficiary of this whole system. So I'm also not going to like defend him too hard here. I'm not defending him. And the other thing is, I think it's because people misunderstand that our money because it's fiat currency is not truly linked. So actually let's take the example of a state versus the federal government. A state can't print its own money. So it right. it should, and we have a balanced budget tax here in Virginia for this reason. We can't print our own money, so we better ensure that our right. our, our revenue is equal to our expenditures. California, they don't have that, and they have a real problem because they could be going bankrupt. And I don't plan on banning them out. And I don't know how you get bailed out. You get bailed out because um, other financial institutions don't want to see California wreck. But eventually, they're going to get tired of me. Like screw you, figure it out. It's on your problem, right? That's mm-hmm. very different. That's also very close to the EU. A lot right. of the EU member countries can't print their own money. So the euro, the people in charge of the euro are the ones who get to control set monetary policy. To be clear, though, they're pretty much doing the same thing as the US government. But I do think that that's the fundamental difference. If we go to a Bitcoin standard, the federal government will find and every government in the world. Like, so, so let's assume we are the global Bitcoin standards. So I mean, everyone's on it. Everyone suddenly becomes like a state. They have to make sure their revenues equal their expenditures. So you will say, you have politicians who actually say, we want to fund this. And in order to do this, we're going to cut this. And they actually mean it because they have mm-hmm. to do it. They can't They can't spend more money than they don't. They have. Like, that's the whole thing. So they if can't we, make it up anymore. They can't make it up anymore. And, and, we'll, and as a result, we'll have a real conversation about what our values are and what we value more. So, for instance, you know, not unfunded wars in the Middle East that never end. But perhaps, uh, you know, more welfare programs. So, like, the thing is, like, I, I don't think it's inherently anti-democratic, but it might be. I mean, the thing is, like, if you're in a country that really, my biggest problem with Bitcoiners is that a lot of them are own it are really are far right people who are, don't want won't give their money up for anything, and they will have the option to leave the country and never come back. To be clear, um, with their money, um, to a place that won't extradite them and take their money with them. And they will have that option. They'll have that X. Right now, you don't have that option as a real practical matter because if your money is in anything but Bitcoin, because you can leave, but they can always just go to the comp- the, 
they can even go to the banks that hold it and tell them to sell it and give us that money. Like there's ways to like garnish your wages and everything, right? And garnish your uh, your your assets. And if your if your land's here, they're going to seize the land, right? So government has option right now. But if you're on Bitcoin, you literally have that one last escape valve, which is I don't like what you're spending it on. I'm out, and I'm going to take a one way trip to here, pretend I'm going on vacation, and never come back, and take my entire network with me. And that's both powerful. And problematic because a lot of the people that are, are anti-taxes altogether, like, uh, you know, just every man for himself, borderline anarchist. And I wouldn't say I'm that. Like, I do want to pay some taxes. I'm sorry. But I think it's, it's not just I the like police. living in a society. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just the police, the firefighters I want. But I also would like to avoid some homelessness if we can and help people get on and move right. on, you know. Well, and how would this and people might be saying, well, how, how does, you know, this actually make things better? And the, the way it makes things better is because economic opportunity and economic flourishing comes from the trade of services and goods between one another. That leads us all to being richer. And so if right now the government can just print money for lack, and we just literally went over, so I'm just going to for shorthand say the government can just print money and do whatever they want with it. And it trickles up to the top. It doesn't trickle down, it trickles up to the top. And they don't need you because they can just print money. So they don't care about I, the people I, laying on the street. But if you needed that person on the street to exchange goods and services back and forth, and the more people you have exchanging goods and services, the better the economy would be and the better everybody would be. Because that's the only way to grow the economy is to actually get more people to participate in this economic system. Where now it doesn't matter that 50% of Americans don't pay taxes. Who cares? I make money. I, I do think we should say that under a Bitcoin standard, the world will be deflationary. Um, so right now yeah. it's an inflationary system. So we will suddenly have to accept that our money will be, uh, so we'll have less money every year because we'll be happy. Like, like for instance, you're, you won't get a raise. You're going to get a reduction and you'll get less of a reduction, <laughs> which is sort of crazy to think about it, but it's okay because um, even if you reduce, so, so let's assume you're, in a job that was didn't want to give you a raise or a benefit or a downs like or, or like or kill you at all, like like or hurt you at all, they still reduce yeah, yeah. your wage just like two percent every year. But that two percent reduction, you could still buy the same amount of goods and services out in the world, right? But if they but if they wanted to help you out, they might not give you that reduction at all, and you suddenly you have the same amount of money, physical money, but you'd be able to buy more goods and services. Or they maybe they give you a one percent reduction instead of the two percent deflationary rate. So you're looking at it. And the problem with that is, for most people, they're not used to this thinking in this this world. Like that, the money but could be worth be. that. The money could be worth more. But if it can be, then then theoretically, we could all have enough. But um, this isn't just an idea either. This is based on, I would say, physics. We don't live on a on a world with infinite resources. We live on a finite world with finite resources, and so our economic model, inflation points things to growing forever, which is physically impossible. And yeah, maybe we can expand into the universe. But the other part of that is technology is going to make everything cheaper. It's going to make everything free. Most things are getting pretty close to free already. The internet is all, everything on the internet is by yeah, I mean, free. There's most of it will be the utility vert utility amount of like living in a house will be right. worth something. And that's the other thing. Like right now we have a monetary premiums and everything. So people use their houses as a saving account. It's pretty common, right? Most people's wealth are in their house. Um, right. And that means it's not just valued for the fact that you can live there and your family can live there. It's valued because you can store wealth. Um, 
whereas Bitcoin could be the element that you, you can finally store your value in money. So, so we talked about how there's multiple elements of money, and one of them is store of value. Because money is not good at storing value long term, we have started to use other things as store of value assets. Now, imagine a world where the money stores it and maintains that buying power forever. You don't need to use other things for monetary assets. I'm not saying you won't ever buy equity or anything, but you're going to only buy the ones that can produce more value for you in the future. Otherwise, that, you're not going to yeah. stick your money there. And that'll be true of your house. No longer your house will suddenly be only valued for the utility that you can live in it. And, and you know, you know, have extra value if it has a nice view and all the things we technically have right now. But the mon- the fact that it's just used as a bank account, some of that would be gone. Like a significant amount, if not all of that would be gone. And it just moves into the money. Bad thing. And it's I, I don't, bad I don't think it's a bad thing. I think the, the, the bad thing is the transition. Like the end state is not bad. For the people right. living through it, it's going to be bad. And like, who aren't ready for this. And like, that's the thing. Like the end state isn't bad, but the transition could be horrific and will certainly be horrific for many people. And less- On horrific. the top and bottom. Oh, on the top and bottom, but less for the top because the top can always buy Bitcoin at a higher less price. Less for the top, but a lot of rich people way, Bill are Gates lose has, their wealth. But, yeah, but Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos have a long. I'm not time. talking. I'm not talking those rich people. <laughs> I'm talking about your normal rich people. Yeah, yeah. No, if all your money's in your house, uh, you should take a mortgage out right now and buy some Bitcoin. And I mean that yeah. for that three percent. We just talked about how fixing. Take some out, buy some Bitcoin, secure your future, and it won't matter because then you can pay it yeah. off in the cheap dollars. This podcast is gold. I think uh, we I explained a lot of our. I think we explained a lot of our thinking and how we get to these conclusions. Nate and I don't hold beliefs because we just picked them out of thin air. We've done a lot of study. We've done a lot of research. We've read a lot of things. Learned a lot of knowledge that has led us to conclusions. And there are answers in those conclusions. And the conclusions are Bitcoin. Conclusions are thirty-year mortgages at a fixed rate is good to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> That's where a lot of this stuff comes from. And I think. Uh, I feel like we did a pretty good job explaining how we think about things. Yeah, think? yeah, certainly. I think we did a good job of like giving at least a background of of how all this stuff impacts each other, which I hope we did because this is how we got the Bitcoin conclusion. But it's not just about Bitcoin; it's about how the whole world works. And you can make right. your own decisions about whether you think this is a good idea or a bad idea. We obviously don't think it's we we we. we I think at least I would say I think it's the only idea the Fed can deal with right now. But it's a bad idea long term and we need to get off of it and we need to figure out the safest way off of it, understanding that every place, every way is off is going to be messy. But right. like, that's the real answer. Like, I'm not a fan sure. of what, what we're doing, but I also accept that how we get off. Uh, Afghanistan was a perfect example. We should have gotten out of Afghanistan, but we got out messy. It was really, really terrible. And yeah. we could have done that a lot better. I think we can. I'm not saying we can stick to landing in a clean way with this monetary switch. It's always going to be a mess. But I think there's less clean and, and more clean ways. And my hope is that if, if and to the extent that I can help, it's telling people that I know and I care about, uh, including our listeners, that Bitcoin is one of the things that's going to help you make this landing less messy. Still going to be messy even for you. Just going to be a lot less if you own Bitcoin. I do believe that. Exactly. I like that. Yeah, you're right. There might be other answers, but I think we think Bitcoin's probably the most feasible at this time. And there's yeah, probably and arguments it, to be made. And, and here's the thing. If you change your mind and we're we're keeping an eye on things in an extreme way, uh, we'll let you know. But that's certainly right. the way. That's where my money is. So I, at least if I'm wrong, you'll know that I'm uh, that I, right. I'm there with you. I'm with there with you. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you next time. Talk to you guys. Thank <laughs> you.